morning again, everybody. Forest Heights Baptist Church, I am so excited to be here this morning and to be here as the pastor of this church. I'm excited because God has a lot of things in store for us, and I'm just, I want to see what He's going to do because I, I've been out in this community for a few days now. Uh, I came and I was in the office a couple days last week and a few days this week and trying to get moved and uh, just one day this week, I just went and I prayed and just kind of walked through the area and prayed and met some people and, and talked with people and just good to begin to understand who lives here and what it is our church needs to be doing. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, and I thought and prayed really hard about what I wanted to teach this first Sunday and really the, for the next month or so, kind of what I wanted to look at. And today we're going to be studying Acts chapter 2, starting verse 41. And as you turn there, uh, this passage gives us a glimpse of what the early church looked like. Uh, it doesn't tell us everything about that, of what a church is, but as we enter into a new season of ministry here, as we have to kind of rally together and begin to think, how can we be best serving God's kingdom? I want us to make sure as a church, we have the basic things right. And we need to just sometimes regroup and look back and go, what are we doing as a church? And I want to think through this this morning, uh, and we're going to come back to some of these topics in later days. Uh, but we want to consider, again, what a church needs to be dedicated to doing. Now, there's a lot of books written on this topic. I've got one in my office I was going to bring up. It says there's nine marks of a healthy church, right? I've got one from the IMB that says there are 12 marks of a healthy church, and there's all kind of things. Well, this morning, we're just probably going to talk about four or five things that are in this passage. In other words, Acts chapter 2 doesn't tell us everything there is to know about a church. But it does give us some highlights, the things that they were focused on as the church was forming. So turn there in your Bible. Let me fill you in on the context. What was happening in the book of Acts when this was written? Uh, it was the day of Pentecost. In other words, Jesus had told them, listen, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, and you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. The day had finally arrived. Jesus had promised it. The Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost, and the groups that were gathered in, in Jerusalem, the crowds there, the multitudes, were suddenly hearing the gospel, the message of salvation, for the first time. And what was crazy and what was really incredible was that not only did they hear it, even though they were coming from different nations and different places, when they heard it preached, they heard it in their own languages. All that had happened on that day, Peter would stand up and give his first sermon, and boy, did that sermon hit hard. Peter pointed out to them using the Old Testament, Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. In other words, the Jews had been waiting for this king to come from David's family, They'd been long waiting for the seed of the woman all the way back from Genesis to come and crush the head of Satan. They had been waiting on the king that would come and make all things right. And he had finally arrived, and they killed him. He was dead. And he points that out to the crowd. Listen, this, is, this Jesus whom you killed, God has made him the author of life. And he, Peter is going to point that out. Peter says this, he says, You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. They murdered the author of life. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says this, They were pierced to the heart and asked, Brothers, what shall we do? So Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he explains the gospel to them for the first time. They hear it and they ask him, Peter, what do we need to do to be saved? How do we make this right? And Peter's going to give them the answer. He tells them to, in verse 38, Peter tells them, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he continues to make promises to them. But listen, the promise is this, repent. And what he's telling them by repent there is, Turn from your unbelief. You did not believe in the Messiah and believe. He's calling them to faith in this passage. And that's where we pick up. And man, it is. let's look at verse 41. Would you please stand with me as we read God's word this morning? It says, Acts chapter 2, starting verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions, were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. And this is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. As we begin that in verse 41, did you catch that number? Peter preaches this sermon. He tells them to repent. They ask what needs to happen. He calls them to believe. And on that day, 3,000 souls were added to their number. That is a huge number, right? I mean, that, can you imagine? Talk about church planting. Uh, can you imagine what it would be like if we went out, preached the good news in this community, and had 3,000 people get saved? I tell you what, first thing that would happen would be a lot of celebrating, all right? We, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves, but uh, maybe let's back this up a little bit. You guys had a trunk or treat last October, right? And I've heard about this from different people, so there were, from by all accounts, somewhere between four and 500 people, perhaps, at this trunk or treat. That's a great number. Can you imagine, had we gone and preached the gospel to them, and I'm not saying you didn't, because some of you probably did. But can you imagine what it would have looked like if all those people the same day had said, you know what, I believe in Jesus, I want to be baptized, we're coming to church on Sunday. First thing that happens is rejoicing. Second thing that happens is panic, right? <laughs> because we're going, wait, 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 these are baby Christians, they don't know anything about Jesus, really. These people... These initial believers, these 3,000 people, they didn't know very much about Christianity. And so you're going, well, where are we going to find the Sunday school teachers? Every one of you suddenly gets your own Sunday school class, right? And uh, all this would begin to happen. And, uh, and then some of us are thinking, you're, you know, you're planners, you're organizers, and you think, what kind of chaos is about to happen in our church? I mean, really, where are we going to put them? How many services are we going to have? Uh, I was wondering as I thought about this this week, if we were baptizing that many people, how often do you have to drain it and clean it before you can get the next people in, right? Uh, 
all these problems we just wouldn't have even known about. And you got all those people back in, in Acts. They're all there in Jerusalem. They're from all over. I mean, what if people came, not just with differing backgrounds, but, you know, they're different nations, different languages, different skin colors. And in Acts, when they came to faith this day, they were declaring their allegiance to Jesus when it went against their previous religion and, and culture. Everything they had known for most of these Jews had been built around Judaism, going to the synagogue, going to the temple, the festivals, all the worship that was there. And they had questions. How can you be Jewish and Christian at the same time, even though they didn't know the word Christian yet? They were just thinking, how can we follow this and this at the same time? Do we now merge these together? What is it going to look like? But it sounds to me like it was kind of a precarious situation. I can just imagine on that first day, by the end of the week, you have First Baptist Jerusalem suddenly splintering into Second Baptist Jerusalem and then Friendly Baptist Jerusalem and Non-Denominational Baptist Jerusalem. And you could just begin how, hey, this could, this could get really dicey, right? A lot of new people, differing backgrounds are coming in, but that's not what happens in the book of Acts. It's not what happens on this day. Instead, we have quite the opposite. What we see is the development of a a new community of faith, people coming together with a common purpose to know and worship their God and live in obedience to Him. They would have a new relationship suddenly with one another as believers in Jesus and members of the body. So in this passage, we're going to find that they had unity, that they were united in their purpose of coming and worshiping Jesus. This, they would have new relationship and uh, not only that, they would focus on certain actions and priorities as a new people, as a new community. The church, we are of the same community of these 3,000 souls that got saved that day. We're still part of a church today, 2,000-something years later. And so as we look at this text, we can learn from them. What were their priorities and what will ours be? Look at verse 42. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So we can, right here, we begin, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the, these activities. The King James says that they continued steadfastly in them. In other words, these were the habits that they were forming. These were the things that they were going to persist and continue to do. And if we're going to be a healthy church, if we want Forest Heights to to begin to make to ensure that in the future we maintain our status as a healthy church. And again, I just got here, right? So I'm not telling you you're not doing these things. All I'm saying is we need to always remind ourselves of what the Scripture teaches us. And so it tells us here they gave themselves and were consistent in practicing these activities. And we're going to look at each one of them. The first one is they gave themselves, they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we see that there in verse 42. Uh, now, these were baby Christians, right? They didn't know the Scripture. Just like if a new believer walked in here today, they, they don't know the Bible. We might have shared the gospel with them. They might know just enough to get saved, but they come in, and they have to be trained up. Now, I want you to think about what was interesting on this day is, did they have the New Testament? They didn't. I, we got a couple of Gideons in here, right? And I love you guys. And you, they're handing out Bibles. They're handed out New Testaments, and we know God works through that, right? He uses it. 
On this day, they didn't have a, a New Testament. And most of them would not have had a personal copy of the Old Testament sitting around the house. Where did they go for that? They had to go to the synagogue. They had to go to the temple where someone, they would focus on the public reading of the scripture of the Old Testament. Guys, you know in Ephesians, it says that God gave the apostles to the church as a gift. So they, the, the church would begin to be equipped and built up. And it's not just apostles. It's also pastors and teachers. It's also uh, evangelists, all these gifts that God has given to the church. And I want you to think about that because on this day, these new believers had a group of people, the apostles, who were uniquely equipped and gifted by God to make sure that this new group could understand and learn the scriptures. Here's what I mean by that. They had seen Jesus' life. They had walked with him for a considerable amount of time. And not only that, they saw his death. They saw his resurrection. They spoke with him afterwards. And uh, according to Luke, Jesus explained to them how to understand that the Old Testament pointed towards him as the Christ. Let me read to you. This is Luke chapter uh, 24, verse 27. And then I'm going to read verses 44 and 45. It says, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And then in verse Luke 24, 44 says, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He opened their minds to the scripture, helped them know how to interpret it rightly. All right, we're in, in Sunday school this morning. We were studying Samson, right? And Samson's a strange story in the book of Judges. And we, Jesus was helping them understand how all these things pointed to their need of him. And the, the apostles understood it, and now they're able to explain it to these new men and women. Now, uh, for sake of time, we're not going to go into detail on what it means to be devoted to the Word this morning, but we're going to come back to that next Sunday. But here's what I want to ask us. We have the Scriptures. It's right here. It's right here. Right? Every one of you has, probably has more copies than you care to admit sitting on a shelf somewhere in your house. I know I've got a number of versions. I know that you do as well. Church, do we as a church devote ourselves to the teaching of the Word? Do we, do we dedicate ourselves to understanding and knowing what God wants of us? Understanding who He is better through the Word. And it starts with me, right? I, if, if I'm being honest, I'm standing in a pulpit this morning, and I've been charged to rightly divide the Word of Truth. And if I teach it in a way that is not true, then there's a problem. And so I need to take my uh, study seriously. But it's not just that. Have you ever been to church where it's just about the soapbox? And the pastor just, this is what I want to talk about it. And maybe I could get distracted and, and teach some current events a lot of times. And we could get out of the word. Or maybe it's pop psychology and, and I could begin to teach where, just to make you feel better, right? But according to this, we've got to dedicate ourselves to the word and it's not it's not just me though it's also uh, it's also the teachers in the church our Sunday school classes uh, are we faithfully coming to attend the teaching times of the church think about the opportunities we have right Sunday morning we have Sunday school we have the Sunday morning service that we're in right now we have an evening service Wednesday we have 
uh, a devotion and, and Bible study and, and uh, as well as a prayer time. And so we have all these kind of times. Well, are we being faithful to attend those? Because those are kind of the, the minimum, right? Like if we, if we just do that, those are the things that we do together. Now I want to point out something to you. In the, in the New Testament, it was always focused on the public reading of Scripture. That we study and we learn together. Now as Americans, we've individualized this partly because we have the privilege of having our own copy of the Bible. And they didn't. But I'm telling you, part of God's grace for us is He's provided communities of faith. Churches with teachers where we can come and learn together and walk this walk together and not have to do it completely on our own. And so we need to be careful to be faithful to come and attend the services when we can. And uh, I always think, you know, somebody told me once, Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision, right? You, that's when you decide, am I coming or am I not? Am I going to be out late so that when I get here I'm so tired I just can't focus or are we really going to come and give ourselves to the Word to make sure we're refreshed and ready and open to what God has for us? Now, church, I'm not going to belabor this point because I want to get into some of this next week. But one last thing on the Scripture. We need to decide as a church that the Scripture is our standard. That we're going to go with what the Bible says, not what the culture teaches that at the end of the day, if we have decisions we need to make as a church, we can open the Scripture and ask questions. And that's where we need to go as a church. And so that's what they did in Acts 40, chapter 2, verse 42. says they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's where we need to be. The second thing in this list, if you're in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is fellowship. And I, as you study this, this is a Greek word koinonia. I might use it interchangeably sometimes, so just know that. Uh, but fellowship, the reason I do that is because fellowship is translated a lot of different ways in the New Testament. And when we think of fellowship, what do you guys think of? Somebody tell me. Eat, eating, food. Somebody said chicken. Uh, you know, we're Baptists. There's probably some kind of casserole dish or something. All right, we got a gumbo for the LSU fans in, out here. But you begin to think fellowship. We have a fellowship hall downstairs, right? Because that's a place where we can get together and get to know one another, and that is a part of what fellowship means. But listen, this the biblical word includes a few other things. It can, it can be this, a close association involving mutual interests, sharing, association, communion, close relationships, all those things kind of come together. These people had just left behind everything they knew. They were leaving behind their communities. In the coming days, they would get cast out of the synagogues. Many of them would lose their very livelihoods. And so as, as you begin to think, they're no longer associated with their old groups. They've got to come into a new family. And fellowship is part of that. We have that close relationship because we are supposed to be a new family together. doesn't matter where your ethnic background is. doesn't matter your economic background. When you come to faith, you join the universal church. You join the body of Christ. You become part of the local body of Christ. If you're here at Forest Baptist Heights, 
then you need to know one another and love one another, care for one another. Sometimes this word does focus on, on, on the close relationships, but the family that we have. Uh, again, we'll come back to this in a couple of weeks, but three times in my Bible, fellowship is translated as sharing together. Twice it's translated as contribution and refers to their giving on behalf of the poor for other causes. Twice it's used as participation. That koinonia, fellowship, means participating. And what are we participating in? The suggestion is this, as we come, we participate in the gospel, we are fellow sharers in it, but if we are a new community, a fellowship with, we have common goals and interests. There are things in the church that we need to be about, and if you're going to have fellowship, it's not just about eating the gumbo. It's also about participating and being part of the vision of the church and where the church is going uh, we could suggest a lot of different goals that we have, right? We want to rightly worship God. We want to reach the lost in the community. There's a lot of things that that could mean that we'll come back to in the coming days. But I just want you to realize, listen, we, we've got to get to know each other. We've got, we've got to have the close relationship and be family together. But we also have to have mutual interest and goals and participate in the church. Church, how are we doing with this? I always like preaching these messages because I don't know. Uh, I was preaching once through Ephesians, and, and you begin to talk about unity within the body. And, and in my mind, everything was fantastic, right? Because I, was, I had just gotten there. I didn't know if there were division or strife. And so I could just teach it clearly from the Scripture. But we have to uh, stop fighting each other. And I don't say that for Forest Heights Baptist Church. I say that for every church that we have to love one another. And let me give you an example of this, okay? When's the last time you invited somebody over for a meal in your home from this church? COVID's kind of put a wrench in that, hasn't it? But the truth, truthfully, most of us stopped doing it a long time ago. Uh, we moved back to the States just a couple of years ago. And I'll be honest with you, not many people have invited us into their home. And I thought, well, maybe it's because, you know, COVID and other stuff. And I began to ask other pastors. And you know what I discovered? It was the same thing in their churches. And it wasn't just the pastor. It's that if you're not immediate family or a close friend that you've had for years and years, we just don't as a culture invite people in anymore. And so I'm going to encourage you in the coming days to begin to think, how can you have people in your home? We talk about Southern hospitality, right? It should be Christian hospitality. Because if, when it comes to business meetings and when it comes to people having different ideas and people that start fighting, it's a lot harder to fight with somebody that you just shared that meal with. I ask, uh, well, I'll come back to that, but, uh, you know, if, if, if we're not coming together and we're putting up personal walls, that's another thing we do, right, as a culture, especially as men, we want to pretend everything is okay. That's not fellowship, is it? If, if it's not, how do we have a close relationship if we always say, well, everything's fine. I don't need any help. I don't need to confess my sin to you. If we put up those walls, we'll never have real fellowship. We've got to tear those things down. So fellowship, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, to fellowship, to getting to know one another. And uh, some, some scholars, by the way, if you look at verse 42, 
The, the third on this list it was teaching, fellowship, and then the breaking of bread. And some people put the breaking of bread together. And grammatically, I could see how you could do that. But uh, I, I'm going to leave these as two separate things and tell you that fellowship is more than a meal together, but it is not less. It is not less than having meals together. It says they were breaking their bread together. Now, these two things could, uh, there's two things this could refer to. One, they were just simply eating. They were, it says, if you look down in the text, look down at verse 46. It says, day by day, with one, they were continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Every day they were going to the temple to hear the teaching of the apostles because guess what? You couldn't all fit in somebody's house. They didn't have a church building. So they went to the temple where there was a courtyard to hear, his, to hear them teaching the word, teaching the gospel, explaining how the Old Testament pointed Jesus. But then it said they were breaking bread from house to house. The big group broke up into small groups and they began to meet in each other's homes to share meals together. It says they did it with gladness and sincerity of heart. And so in verse 42, when it says they were breaking bread together, uh, it's possible that meant the Lord's Supper. And that could have been part of the feast that they were having that day. And certainly we want to continue to have that fellowship as a church because it is a symbol that we are part of one body, the body of Christ, and that we are united in this together. But it is also simple having a meal together. They celebrated. So I'm going to ask you again, when's the last time you had a church member over to your house for a meal? I'm going to leave that thought there with you. The last one, the fourth one, is they devoted themselves to prayer. When I visited a while back, I spoke a little bit on prayer, and I challenged you to choose five believers to pray for every day. And some of you remember that because you've mentioned it. I, I got to, a chance to visit Mr. Jimmy and Miss Jenny one day, and, and they mentioned that, that same thing. And uh, others have mentioned it as well. And the idea that just if we would just pick five believers to pray for, can you imagine if you had somebody and you said, you know what, I want to commit to praying for that brother or sister every day. And then you invited them over to, their, to your house, and you had a meal with them and said, I'm going to be praying for you. How can I best pray for you? Can you give me some things? Can you imagine how that would begin to change your relationship with them and how much it could really strengthen us as a church? But that's just one way, and that's a way to do it separately, to do it not as a community but as individuals, but to begin to build community off of it. But it takes discipline and planning and hard work to, prayer, to, to do prayer, doesn't it? We just think prayer happens. We always talk about prayer. But you have to really plan your prayer time and dedicate yourselves to it. That they were continually giving themselves consistent and practicing prayer. And they did it when they went to the temple. They did it when they met in these homes. Uh, and you can just look down at verse 47. Uh, they were, as they were having these, they were meeting there in the temple. They were breaking bread from house to house. And verse 47 says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. I think when they were praising God, they were praying, saying, God, we give you the glory and the honor due your name. We know who you are, that you've saved us, and we're thankful for that. And so they would begin to pray. Church, if we will not set aside time to pray, 
we ought not expect, expect any lasting fruit at Forest Heights Baptist Church. Every great revival among Christians started with small groups of people that said, we're going to pray and ask God for revival and healing for our people. It begins with this group right here. That we come this morning, we come together to pray, and if we will pray together and get on our face, God has said, I will heal your land. Ask, and I will give the nations to you. And that's who we are as a people. Why wouldn't we? We can come this morning to, the, to God's throne. We have that privilege to go before Him, but we don't use it. Church, we have to give ourselves to praying. We need revival in this church and in the churches around us. It's not just uh, for Forest Heights again. We need God to renew His people. And those again, those great times of revival and renewal in America and all around the world always start with prayer. Now, you guys know the difference. A revival is something God does among His people. He renews His people. But an awakening is what sometimes follows, where God begins to save the lost and more and more people come. But it all begins with one thing that is bathed in prayer. The early church knew it. They were dependent on Him. They would have to call out to Him for prayer. Now, we're not going to get into this this morning. There's one other activity I think that is implied in the text, and that is evangelism. Why? The very nature of them going into the temple was a public witness where they continued to proclaim the gospel publicly. And so I would say, really, these five things. If we would dedicate ourselves to the Word, right? If we would commit, commit to real fellowship, being family together, but also being about the common goals of the church, participating. If we would give ourselves to that, to the breaking of bread, again, really being family together. Were we able to love each other and have patience with one another? Just like you do with your own family. I hope you do with your own family. And four, if we would just pray together. And five, if we would just commit to reaching the people, the lost around us. Then God can use that. And that is a starting point for us as, as a church. The last thing I want to point out as we get ready to close here. Is that it says that they were doing all these things with gladness and sincerity of heart. Some of them, as part of the unity and fellowship, they recognized that people were losing jobs and were poor and needed help. And some of them were selling their property to meet those needs because they saw the group as more important than their individual private needs. And uh, that's one example of fellowship. They were doing that with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were having people over their house and they weren't going, man, I can't believe i gotta, I got to clean the house again today because, because uh, Brother Leon's coming over and i got to make sure everything's clean and ready before Miss Ann comes next week. They weren't doing it grudgingly, right? It was with sincerity and gladness of heart because God had just saved them. They were still on fire. They still had that first love, the gratefulness and thankfulness of knowing that God had saved them. And because of all these things, they had favor with the people. Now, we may not have favor with the people around here, but God can do it. God knows those who are His. He will send us to the right places and the right people, and the Spirit will move, If I believe, if we will begin to call on Him and ask Him to do it. 
and if we will get on board with his business. Now, church, I'm going to leave us there. In just a moment, we're going to sing a, a song of, of invitation. But I'll say this. If, if, you are, if you've been on the struggle with being here for the t- teaching times of the church over this last season, it's time to renew. If you've struggled in your prayer life, it's time to pray. If you feel disconnected from the church, well, talk to people. Let them know. I'll be glad to sit with you. I, I, uh, we're, you know, we're almost done with this, with closing and getting moved and, and getting up here. And I'm going to be in this office. And I'm going to be visiting your homes. And I just want to talk to you. I want us to encourage one another and love one another. And uh, so we're here for you. And if I can do something for you, you've been kind of feeling left out. You've been feeling like I just need encouragement. Come and talk to me. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the example of the early church. Though so much could have happened, so much conflict could have happened, you gave them a sweet spirit of unity. I pray that right here at Forest Heights Baptist Church, we would have that same unity this morning and in the coming weeks and months ahead. Father, would you help us to repent when when we neglect your word and we neglect prayer and even when we begin to fight with one another, Father, would you heal us? Would you heal the land around us? Would you call people to yourself? Would you do a great work of revival beginning in our own hearts this morning? Father, we know that you can do this. And we put Forest Heights Baptist Church into your hands. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.